turn in a Bible to Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I've titled this sermon, The Fruit of Love and Peace. I believe that it's true that we all want to be loving people. We all want to be peaceful people. We don't want to be hateful. We don't want to be bitter and vindictive and unforgiving. We don't want to be holding grudges and seeking to make others miserable. And yet, we find that it's difficult to be loving. It's difficult to be peaceful and at peace with one another. And so these commands from our Lord Jesus Christ are important for us to heed. And it's also important for us to remember that what Christ commands, he also enables. So we're going to be looking at that from these verses in Colossians chapter 3. I invite you now to hear God's word. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. We are called to love and peace, but we cannot produce them. We all want to be loving and peaceful people, and yet we find that that isn't always our experience. We have difficult, difficulty loving one another. We have difficulty being at peace with one another. And that's not unique to us. It's been true since the beginning of human history. Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God. They experienced perfect love and peace with God. And yet, they began to disbelieve God. To not believe that God was acting for their good. And that they could do better by themselves. And so they sought what they thought was in their best interest. And people have been doing that ever since. And that is the opposite of love, because love does not seek its own. All of us have insisted on our own way, and that has resulted in dissonance. This passage says, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And I've got an illustration here for you that when we think about harmony, there are certain sounds that to our ears sound beautiful, like a chord like that. But there are other sounds like that that just sound awful to our ears. It's dissonant. God has called us to put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. But love and peace, we see from Galatians chapter 5, are the fruit of the Spirit. They are produced by the Spirit of God in our hearts and lives. It's not something that we can manufacture on our own. We can't try harder. That's not the answer to try harder to love people. Lots of people maybe at the beginning of the year take on a New Year's resolution. This year I'm going to be more loving. Or this year I'm going to be more at peace with other people. But we cannot produce that. It is produced by the Spirit of God. And so we need to 
rely on God's Spirit who has come to dwell in our hearts by faith and he will produce the fruit that we cannot produce on our own. There's a little word in this text that in the ESV is translated as and. It's the Greek word de, D-E or delta epsilon. For those of you who are in the Greek societies in college, you would know those delta and epsilon. It's an adversative and it means but. Here, many translations, except for the New King James, translate it and. The New King James translates it but. And I think it's significant that that word is here. It's a little word with big importance. And we see it four other times in Colossians. In chapter 1, 22, it's not translated, but I think it's implied. But he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh. In, verse, in chapter 1, verse 26, it talks about the mystery of God that was hidden for ages and generations, but has now been revealed. In Colossians 2.17, that these things are a shadow, but the substance, but the substance belongs to Christ. And again in Colossians 3, 7, and 8, in these things you once walked, but now you are to live in a new way. And so I think the importance of this is that these virtues that we've seen in verses 12 and 13 cannot be experienced or demonstrated apart from the love of Christ. Don't think that you can put on compassionate hearts and gentleness and faithfulness and long-suffering and forgiveness apart from love. Those things are all important, but love is the only thing that holds everything together. The other virtues are worthless without love. We see this in 1 Corinthians 13, where the Apostle Paul talks about giving away his body to be burned and says, if I have not love, I am nothing. I gain nothing. So the other virtues are all worthless without love. In Peter's second letter, he writes to add to your faith these different things, and he concludes with love. Add to your faith, ultimately, love. Because love is the highest of virtues, and it is what binds God's people together in one body. So it is love that, that is the tie that binds our hearts and lives together. You may be familiar with the hymn, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. It was written by John Fawcett, who was a pastor. He was born of poor parents in Lidget Green, Yorkshire, England. He was converted to Christ at the age of 16 through the ministry of George Whitfield. At 26, he was ordained as a Baptist minister and accepted a call to pastor a small and impoverished congregation at Waynesgate in Northern England. After spending several years at Waynesgate, where his salary was meager and his family was growing, he received a call to succeed the well-known Dr. Gill to minister at a large and influential Caters Lane Baptist Church in London. So his family was growing, he was serving a poor congregation, and much of his 
Um, compensation was in the form of potatoes and produce from the farms of his people. But on the departure day, with the saddened per parishioners gathered around the wagons, Mrs. Fawcett finally broke down and said, John, I cannot bear to leave. I know not how to go. Nor can I either, said the saddened pastor. They stayed at Wayne's Gate and unpacked their bags. During one of his sermons, Fawcett shared this hymn text with his congregation. The poem was first printed in 1782 under the title Brotherly Love in a collection containing numerous of Fawcett's poems. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. So love is what binds all of these things together. It's the bond of perfection. So we've said that these things, love and peace, are the fruit of the Spirit. They're in the list in Galatians 5 where there are nine different character qualities listed. Here we see two of them, love and peace. And we know again from 1 Corinthians that love is patient and kind. And I'm going to follow the model that Lee gave us last week of talking about giving a definition of what these things are. And then the opposite of that and then seeing where that is displayed in Christ and in the body of Christ in the church today. And so a def definition of love, most well-known one is 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient and kind. People often have these verses read at their weddings. It's another definition of love that I heard from John Piper, and it's one that has stuck with me. It says this, love is laboring, suffering, and dying to enthrall the beloved with what will satisfy him or her most forever, namely God. And so we see this in Jesus Christ, that he labored, he suffered, and he died so that we, his beloved, might be enthralled with what will satisfy us most forever, namely God. And so our goal in loving one another is the same thing. We want to help others be enthralled with what will satisfy them most forever, namely God. Now it is possible to give without loving. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us this where the Apostle Paul talks about what can be given away. And he says that even if I give my body to be burned, but I, if I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, but have not love, I gain nothing. And so it's possible to give, even sacrificially, and not have love. We see this sometimes in the family where maybe a father hasn't been spending the time that he should with his children, and yet he'll buy them gifts. And they're longing for the love that is expressed in time with their father. So it's possible to give without loving, but it is impossible to love without giving. The most well-known verse of scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, but whoever believes in him should not perish, but have ever, everlasting life. God's love gave. He gave his only son. 
So it, it is possible to give without loving, but it is impossible to love without giving. God demonstrated the greatest love by giving his own son. Jesus demonstrated the greatest love by laying down his life. He said, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Where do we see this kind of love in the church? I've seen it recently in the life of Justin and Katie Bays. You may or may not be familiar with their story. They have lost two children at young ages. They have known deep sorrow and grief and loss. And yet when my daughter Naomi and her husband Kyle experienced a similar loss, some of the first ones to come alongside of them were Justin and Katie. And they came and they demonstrated a kind of love that was directed at pointing them to the one who will satisfy them most forever, namely God. So we need love from one another, but what we need most from one another is more of God. In a similar way, Rick Murray ministered to me and to my family in that time because he had experienced a similar life in the, a similar loss in their family. And when his son lost a baby, he wrote a song, a lullaby for Levi, and he was gracious enough to send me the lyrics to that song and a recording of it, and Karen and Hope and I sat in a big recliner, and we listened to that, and we hugged each other, and we just wept, and we received the love of Jesus, and we were drawn to the love of Jesus, who satisfies us most forever. Also, we experienced love through the life of Jerry Dill. Some of you may not know that she and her husband have also experienced the loss of a child. He was older, about 16 years old, I think, and it was about 20 years ago that he died. And because of that experience, God comforts us in all of our affliction that we might be able to comfort one another with the very comfort that we have received from God. And Jerry came and she had very practical expression of love and wonderful kindness that she showed to me and to my family. And so there are many others, as Lee pointed out, this recent weeks, the love that you've shown to one another, the love that you've shown to Dick Gale and his family and others. I just want to encourage you do so more and more. You are doing it by the grace of God, but continue more and more to do this. It is very attractive. It is winsome, and it is God-glorifying, and it blesses those who receive that love. The fruit of love. It is a fruit. It's not produced in and of ourselves. It is produced by the Spirit of God as we are connected to Jesus Christ. There's the fruit of peace as well. And peace is more than the absence of conflict. It is total well-being or shalom. And so the Apostle Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The Apostle Paul knew of situations in the church where that was not being experienced 
In his letter to the Philippians, he wrote about Euodia and Syntyche. These two women are mentioned only there in Scripture. And it says, come alongside of them and help them to agree together in the Lord. Apparently, these women had had a close relationship and something had happened and that relationship had been, become strained. There was a difficulty. There was conflict there. And Paul writes, I want you to come alongside of them and help them to agree together in the Lord. This peace of Christ is to rule in our hearts. It's the same word or a related word that we saw earlier in Colossians that means to umpire or to make a decision. So it is to umpire over our lives. It is to rule over our lives. It is to be the deciding factor in all that we do. This peace of Christ is to determine how we live with one another. Now there are different kinds of peace. There's peace with God. There's the vertical peace. There's the horizontal peace with one another. There's internal peace, peace within. But I think the emphasis here is on peace relationally in the body of Christ because it says to which indeed you were called in one body. So Paul has in mind that the love that we show, the love that we receive from Christ is to be expressed in a way that results in peace in the body of Christ, peace with one another because we are called in one body to live as we as though we are part of one another, which we are. We see this demonstrated in Jesus Christ in Colossians 1.20. Jesus came making peace by the blood of his cross. So he is the one who has made peace possible for us. He has made it possible for us to be reconciled to God and at peace with God. And he makes it possible for us to experience peace in our relationships with one another. And he is our peace who broke down the dividing wall. In Ephesians 2.14, Paul's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. And Jewish people regarded Gentiles as dirty dogs. They had no desire to be associated with them or in fellowship with them. And yet God had brought them together in the church. And it was only possible because Jesus had broken down the dividing wall that separated them. And so now that that wall is broken down, we can experience peace with one another across cultural and ethnic boundaries, across different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, skin color, any other thing that might divide us has been broken down by Jesus Christ. He is our peace. And I see this kind of peace demonstrated in the body of Christ in different ones in many, many of you, but a couple that come to mind. One is um, Ed and Rosemary Dunn. Ed and Rosemary, you may know, moved here not too awfully long ago from the Pittsburgh area, and they had been a part of an evangelical Presbyterian church there, and when they came to this area, this church was part of the evangelical Presbyterian church denomination, and they came largely because of that. And I told them early on when they got here that we were exploring a possible merger and it might be that we were no longer going to be part of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And they could have made a big ruckus 
they could have stirred up things and said, well, that's kind of misleading and false advertising. We came here because you are this, and now you're not going to be that anymore. And Ed and Rosemary have been some of the most peaceful people among us that I can imagine. They have jumped in to serve in various capacities, and they have been such a joy to know and to love. In a similar way, Kathy Abel has been brought to us by God's grace, by his, this leading of the Holy Spirit, and she has been a spirit, a, a peaceful presence among us like no others that I can think of. And so different ones among us are demonstrating this kind of peace in a way that is encouraging and God-honoring. And I want to encourage all of us to do the same as God enables us. So love and peace, the love and peace to which we are called here are the fruit of the Spirit. It is not something that we can produce in and of ourselves, but God produces it for us. Fruit cannot cause itself to grow. In order for fruit to be produced, the fruit has to be connected to the vine. The vine has to be connected to the trunk and to the root. It has to have a source from outside of itself, a source of life-giving nutrients. And that is what God has offered us in Jesus Christ. In John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will produce much fruit. And so if we want this fruit of the Spirit, if we want this fruit of love and peace to be present and growing in our lives, the solution is not to try harder and think, I'm going to muscle up my courage and willpower and I'm going to make this happen on my own. No, the solution is to come and drink of the love of Christ. We've come to the table of the Lord today and we've tasted the bread and we've drunk of the cup. And that's what we need to continue to do, to come to Jesus Christ, to taste and see that the Lord is good, to drink deeply of his love for us and allow his love to so fill us that it overflows from us. As I'm thinking of Dick Gale, I had heard before of his life, before he came to faith in Christ, but I didn't know him during that time. His son Rick yesterday told us about what his life was like before he knew Christ. Those of you who knew him from his years at this church knew him as a sweet and loving man who demonstrated the fruit of the Spirit. Well, I learned yesterday that over the years he'd expressed a special concern for one of the young men in our congregation who began his life in foster care because Dick's precious bride, Bobby, had been in foster care, he was especially sensitive to others who had experienced that. And he had a special place in his heart for others who had been in foster care, and he reached out to them and prayed for them and was continually caring for them. We want this fruit of love and peace. This past week, Karen and I had the opportunity to pray with someone in our congregation and after we prayed with that person, we were told, I've never had anyone pray over me that way. And this is a person who grew up in churches. 
And I thought, what a terrible indictment on the church experience that this person had come out of, that they'd never had anyone pray over them. God wants this love and peace to be demonstrated in, our th- in and through our lives. And he's poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us, Romans 5, 5, so that we might demonstrate this love and peace to others. So when we are satisfied in Christ, we are enabled to pour ourselves out for others. Now, across the country and around the world in these days of the coronavirus, there is a growing fear and a tendency to want to pull in and to rein things in and to not reach out to others because we might be infected by them. But if we know the love of Christ who laid down his life for us, how can we not lay down our lives for others? If we're demonstrating this fruit of the Spirit, this love and this peace, it has an evangelistic effect. It is winsome. It is attractive. And we are surrounded by a world that is starving for the love of Christ. They long to be loved. They long to experience peace. And we have the opportunity to share it with them because we have experienced peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And since God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, we are enabled to love with the very love of Jesus Christ. And that's what the world is desperate for. And so I am grateful to be part of a body where I see this love and peace being expressed in so many ways. And I want to encourage you to keep on doing what you're doing. Keep coming to Jesus Christ, drinking deeply of his love, tasting of the goodness of the Lord. And as you're satisfied in him, pour yourself out for others. Give them more of God. Enable them to be satisfied in the one who will satisfy them most forever, namely God. Let's pray together. Lord, in my physical weakness today, I pray that you would work mightily to bring about your purpose, that you would demonstrate this fruit of the Spirit in the lives of your people. We thank you that you have demonstrated it most supremely in Jesus who gave his life for us, who laid down his life for his friends. And Lord, we want to come to him and drink, to be so satisfied in him that we are filled to overflowing with the love of Christ and that we would demonstrate his peace, that it would rule in our hearts, that it would be the deciding factor in all that we do. So Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in us, that you would use this fruit of love and peace to draw many in this community and even to the ends of the earth to Jesus Christ, who alone is the one who gives love and peace. We ask this all in his name and for his sake. Amen.